You're listening to Nats FM, the home of distributed systems chat. Nats FM is brought to you by Synadia, the stewards of the Nats project. Hey folks, welcome to episode 8 of Nats FM. At which point do we kind of go into season two? Any ideas? Do we have to get to like, whatever, 52 episodes or something? Is it by year? Is it by change of tone? I think Maybe just, they fire us as a co-host. Uh, yeah, I think that would be the change of the season. Yeah. <laughs> well, good news then, we're still on season one. <laughs> awesome. How are you, Byron? You excellent as always? Yeah, doing doing really well. Had a fun six-year-old birthday party this weekend that I attended. You know, that's always fun with the kids. Having the best. Did he mm-hmm. spike the punch? Uh, no, no, no punch oh. with this one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just the kids with each other, I guess, at that age. Yeah, that's six right. years old. Yeah, ouch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, for my wife's joy, bought another motorbike, which is probably not going to go down that well. She's like, "What are you going to do with the other one? Keep, uh, keep, keep it, keep it." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm dead man walking at this point. So um, yeah, great weekend. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, and it's. Uh, all things all things good um and then we get to topics of ai and it's interesting i had a problem with my banking app over the weekend because the ai said no apparently one of my spending habits was out of pattern and it wouldn't even let me verify the guy's bank details who i was buying the motorbike from that's frustrating a little (laughs) yeah absolutely which is uh yeah episode eight so let's talk about i guess ai at the edge and really it's kind of edges i think given where we are there is a disaggregation of technology and its kind of usage patterns and implications going on right now and i think there's many many reasons for this um i think it's safe to say we're here to try and convince you that nats is a good data substrate for tying these things together We've got lots and lots of meter things to go into. So if you're joining this thinking, well, let's talk about AI at the edge. Actually, it's, a, uh, it's kind of a sales pitch, I think. Well, it's not really a sales pitch. It's just let's talk about all the weird things that are going on and how Nats can help simplify that. That's probably a fair introduction. Just to be absolutely transparent, you're not going to walk away from this as an AI genius. <laughs> Too forward because I'm not a genius. <laughs> so I've got nothing to pass down other than observations. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So AI... Do you not feel this thing's just a pendulum at some point is going to swing so fast it's just going to wrap around your throat and kill you? Yes, I do at times. I mean, there's been, this is definitely the biggest hype cycle thus far. And it's 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 hype and it's not hype. I think it's hype because it's it's hype when people don't maybe grok sort of either what's going on, the impact it can have, or think that it equally can solve all problems, which is also wrong. Um, so I think it's, there's a lot of exploration going on. There's a resurgence happening clearly. And I guess the, the first question on that point is sort of like, why, why now? Like what, what has happened over the past five years, even decade leading up to this point and LLMs aside, which I know is like a dominant, dominant thing, um, that everyone's talking about, but like what, what happened in the past decade? Yep. Yeah, that's an interesting one to so think. Uh, could we even say psychologically, theologically? <laughs> I don't know. There's so many ologies at this point um, we can lean into. But I think there's more people. Systems are increasingly 
more complex because of the increased number of users. And also the style of I think use cases changed as humans try and take themselves out of the loop. So as we reduce the number of if else and then statements, can AI, ML and DL take care of all of this stuff for us? Again, going back to my banking thing, you know, I think in the past it would have been like, oh, you want to transfer this money to this other dude? Yeah, no problem. I'm your bank. Let me be the conduit for this transaction. And now I'm in a position where I still can't pay the guy. I've had to like try and draw some cash out. And obviously the government's trying to do away with cash, which is just another silly argument. But um, yeah, AI says no, because, well, you haven't tried to do this in the past. So this is oh, that's crazy. But yeah, the last few years, I think even when I was kind of heavily in the networking space, there was this massive push into, into AI. And it was kind of like, oh, you can have a firewall. You don't have to program the firewall rules. Isn't that great? And I kind of posed a, a question to the sales guy and I said, well, if I go off and take this firewall and plug it into a core... Um, kind of colo place like a carry hotel like i don't know telehouse north in london and i'm on you know whatever i'm in the core of the internet and i go and plug this firewall in what happens in the first three seconds of that port coming up not even three seconds within the first second i'm being scanned and if the ai says oh this is normal behavior what does my learning process look like normal for me to be attacked so that looks good to me it's normal it's been baselined then you've got to differentiate good, bad. You know, do I have to get involved and then reinforce and say, no, that's bad. No, that's bad. No, that's bad. No, that's bad. It's crazy. So I think we, we went through this very naive, investor-driven, massive hype cycle, you know, go and throw shovel loads of money into these technologies. But out of all this stuff, we, we begin to get into a good place. So yes, you can talk about LLMs and you talk about um, kind of like, dare I say, kind of community-driven ecosystems like the hugging face star platforms where you can go off and you can try different things and there's lots of um, open source efforts or uh, well that's a different argument that's a whole nother podcast on open source at the moment whether it is open source or not um, but the the utility and you know the kind of superpowers you gain from employing these things everything from digital signal processing to traffic management you know railway control air traffic control I mean banking like these things are they're everywhere. They're at every point in your life. You know, like if I go on, if I go on Facebook, which I rarely do, the amount of crap I get on my phone because my wife's on like clothes shopping things and whatever. I got like a really weird pair of leather trousers come up earlier on, half leather and half um, like linen. So like I don't, I don't understand why I'm seeing this, but something somewhere has figured out the fact that we're behind the same bunch of IP addresses and is now throwing ads at me. Oh yeah, and yeah, the humans aren't doing that. It's a There's learning system. Plenty of stories yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's embarrassing at times. Like, I haven't been looking at knee high boots, although they're pretty one, good. You know? Yeah. One of the classic ones, um, I don't remember exactly the story, but it had to do with uh, Target. And uh, there was a daughter of, a, of, of someone who was purchasing certain things that the uh, prediction algorithm figured out that she ended up being, she was pregnant and her father did not know that <laughs> and sent ads to, to him for baby related things. Oh, and so there's, stink. there's a whole bunch of bad that can happen with these things if you're not sort of, and again, that's, this is, a, that's a whole different podcast about ethics and AI and, and things wow. of that nature. But it just, just kind of going off that point, it's people, you know, there's a new capability. There's a new bunch of research. There's new computing power, and you just want to throw AI at everything. And it's like you you have to know what you're doing. You have to 
continuously monitor this stuff and verify that it's doing what you expect it's doing and it's not going overboard and you're not having terrible side effects. It's not biased, things, things of that nature. So all yeah. the hard things, all the, all the hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Picking up a model and just like throwing it out there, given how many, you know, pre-trained models there are today is becomingly be, becoming more and more trivial and you don't have to be an AI researcher to do this. You don't even have to train anything anymore, but when to apply it, how to apply it, um, is, is a, is still a very tricky art. Let's Super call tricky. it that. Yeah. I know Microsoft had their fun. I think we can probably legally say this. I know they, you remember this, what happened? I think it was, it was spelt Tay, but I think it was Dow, like TAO mm -hmm. basically Dow. consumed the internet and, um, yeah, that didn't go well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, they gave birth to this kind of racist, Nazi, kind of misogynist, kind of hateful thing. And people are like, what? Why has this happened? It's like, have you seen the internet? Yep. <laughs> Unfiltered? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Ouch. Yeah, painful. So if we take all the silly stuff away and we take all the investment money away, what we're left with then is this kind of ideology. We can take some some machine learning, some deep learning, some LLMs, you know, some, um, dare I say, just the AI umbrella. And we've got things that we would like to do, whether that's manufacturing, whether it's, you know, autonomous vehicles, whether it's smart city. But there has been a, a massive shift of how, how these systems are deployed and utilized. We've gone from you can only run AI in a data center because you need copious resources. You know, you need loads of power, great connectivity, storage, and high performance compute to be able to do these things. But uh, CPUs have, um, I think they, they've reached almost a, a peak. So, you know, we kind of look at, you know, Moore's Law and everything else, but we've now got dense CPUs coming out. So you can have, you know, a single die with 20 cores on, you know, 60 cores, whatever. Power requirements are going down and even phones now, you know, you look at all of the uh, kind of AI stuff with um, visual, uh, what do you call it, kind of VR stuff where you can, you know, put a sofa in your room and buy some more crap or, you know, have your phone listen yeah. to you in case you're planning on a, in a government coup kind of thing, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but we look at very capable low end or low, low cost technology now being able to run some of these workloads, you know, even with GPUs, you know, on die to be able to run some of these things. You think, well, that's interesting. Then you look at an organization that's going to employ AI end-to-end. -end. So you might do some, what, some training in a data center because that's ultimately where your, you know, kind of heavy machinery lives to be able to train some of these things and experiment. But the, the utilization of them, it's no longer now kind of high-level applications that interact with the data center. It's all the way out to the people using the iPads on the shop floor, you know, the city inspector walking around, walking down an intersection. It's we the kind of usage has changed. It's flipped. We, it's like the old kind of in, you know networking security days. As long as you're you know outside perimeter was secure, everything's great. Security now touches every component at every single level. You know tripwires are everywhere. If anybody so much as intrudes, it's like you know the alarm the alarms go off. But the the usage patterns in the same tone have changed as well. Like usage is everywhere. I mean my you know damn banking app is is kind of drove me mad over the weekend. There's no human there for me to say, you know this is. This is incorrect. Where previously, I'm sure it used to say, "Is this correct?" And it's not. It's no longer giving me the choice because it knows better, or it knows sure. best. It's like Argh. I know I'm kind of rambling about that one. It's a bit of a sore point. Anyway, um, I think as usage patterns change, connecting all of those users together and the various applications that will make a system, it's getting harder. It's getting harder to do. Um, so we could be really, really silly and we could just kind of go, well, just, you know, throw it all in a database. Right. Yeah. So 
so reflecting on that, so we have more computing power on more accessible devices, whether they're, you know, your mobile phone, a, a watch that you're wearing. It could be in a factory floor. It could be wherever. It de depends on the context. So we have more disaggregated computing power that you can theoretically ship these models to. And what, just stepping back, like, what's, what's your take? I have my opinion, but... Um, What's your take on like why, what, what is the motivation for fundamentally injecting AI into everything? Like, what do you, what do you think? I've only got <laughs> dark views on this. Okay. So well, let's go with I'll, your opinion first. And I'll if be, yours is love and light, maybe leave it there. <laughs> well, we could leave it there, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> for me, I think a good motivation is to improve the quality of life for humans assistive and trying to bring joy and experience and things of that nature. Like that's, again, I come, you know, I come from the healthcare world, uh, originally and you wanted, you wanted a human in the loop because obviously taking, uh, have, putting care on, on patients, you want a human involved, but for the, uh, ingesting a whole bunch of data and, and saying, here's some, you know, potential diagnoses or here's a radiology image that I'm able to maybe isolate certain things of interest. You still have a person look at that and you still can have an expert look at that and confirm in that context. And then there's things where, you know, humans get fatigued. Computers do not. They can get, they can break, right? But they don't get fatigued like humans do. So they're not going to, they're going to be much less error prone um, as long as you maintain the performance of the model, of course. And we'll get to that in a, in a bit. So for me, it's like, if you can throw some, a model somewhere that is going to improve either reduce costs, um, while maintaining or improving quality, it can assist a human, um, to do their work more efficiently, things of that nature. So that's my optimistic take on it. Um, so I think the, the motivation of saying, can we throw, I, I mean, even, even as like developers, we know of Copilot and we know of all of these, um, new, you know, tools that people are using and it's like, yeah, some of them produce garbage, but when they don't, they can really actually accelerate sort of your workflow. And as long as you know how to utilize these properly, then they can, they can be, uh, productivity tools. Um, so, and le learning tools. So I think that's, that's my optimistic take. And again, if you're throwing it down on factory floors, if you're throwing it into, you know, smart cities and things like that, you can get into the wheelhouse of saying that this is, this model is really trying to detect when certain hardware or certain devices are going to fail and trying to optimize replacement of things. Um, so it doesn't, you know, break. And then everyone is running around, like trying to, trying to fix it on demand. So a little bit more proactive, um, detection. Yeah, I mean, just just on the industrial side, there are so many applications for this. I mean, even I've seen um, where there's an infrared camera uh, being watched by a neural network for looking at heat on bearings, on, on wheels, on machinery and things. And if it gets to a certain level, they flag it for maintenance and preventative, you know, failure kind of uh, preventative maintenance to stop failures from happening. Um, but even from supply chain, 
from a perspective of you know look look at how many work pieces are going through an environment can we then signal to downstream supply chain providers to put more components into the system or you know dare i say given even political things going on right now and world events some components might not be available because of you know war war going on and things like this and i know it's terrible to say really because i mean humans are consumers irrelevant of what's going on war and you know terrible things people still buy stuff um, but my ultimate take on a lot of the kind of applications for AI and ML, they're, they're driven by, um, and I, I even cringe when I say this, the need by the ruling class to maintain control. And I think as an outcome, as where that money's spent, as an outcome, we gain the benefits of what's good for humans. But I think, I think generally it's a side effect of an umbrella that's, that's designed, you know, not not for happiness and for good. I think it's for control, and we gain some of the more innocent things out the side of it. Um, I mean, that's just that's just me in a nutshell. But I'm British, right? So I think everything's doom and gloom. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Um, but I think that there is some great stuff to come out of, it, especially in the medical space. Like you look at, um, and I know there was even a breakthrough the other week on um, cancer cell detection and being able to just, you know, something could scan and with, with like was it ninety something percent accuracy? Um, do you know? detect and then prevent it from developing any further so you know no chemo no radio treatment it was like take this drug and hopefully you know we found it early enough and we can we can nip it in the bud that's fantastic but then my skeptical game goes oh surveillance wow. <laughs> well it's two things well that person can live a few more years and make some more tax money so that's good so anything well that's a driver of the economic driver but then surveillance being the other one um like you only have to say something sometimes and then all of a sudden adverts appear and you're like is this me being paranoid or mm-hmm. did I mention the violins earlier on and now I've got violin adverts and music lessons on the TV? I don't think this is a coincidence. Like everything's listening everywhere to the point where the TV's in the house. I don't have them on the network. They're not mm-hmm. allowed to be on the network, but that means half the stuff doesn't work. Right. Half the apps don't work. Like the things with microphones, in, they're in a cabinet in the front room with glass sealed doors. They can't listen. But the TV remotes listen now. Because you've got voice commands and everything, so it's like you can't win. Anyway, all my you know skepticism and you know pessimism to to one side. There's some amazingly powerful things, but I mean the ethics is a whole, it's a whole podcast, or mm-hmm. it's somebody's whole PhD ethics and AI. You know what to do, many, what the right many. thing to do is. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely insane. Um, and th- there's so many, I think so many ways to help people. It's. But it comes down to will it make money or does it save money ultimately, and that's what drives the the kind of technical technical revolutions forward. But I guess irrelevant though of the the drivers that brings this technology around. The technology exists. There's lots of it. It's exploding. I think to say it's exploding is is an understatement. It's you know people are going yeah well Dave duh you idiot of course it's exploding it's everywhere, and it is everywhere and it's um, I think organisationally. It will and does result in job losses. You know, humans are being worked out of the system. Profits go up. I mean, that's that's pretty sad. Um, you know, a good monitoring system can reduce you know teams of people whose jobs it's been for years to to water and feed systems. Um, you know, preventative maintenance could affect, essentially you know reduce the number of mechanical engineers maybe an industrial uh, industry needs. Um, but it's kind of like the problem with the Luddites. Do we go forward in a really shoddy way and you know flip the system or do we try and do our best and provide the best possible outcome you know, through all this kind of evolutionary stuff that goes on with technology? And I'm generally the opinion of the latter um, where we, we can't prevent it and stop it. So what we have to do is make sure 
it's easy to use, it's accessible, and then we can actually, you know, shut things down when we don't need them and not lose control of stuff. And I think there's different ways of losing control, like Skynet, mm, <laughs> maybe not in our lifetime, maybe in our lifetime, who knows? Um, but losing control in another way, and that is by losing track of the number of resources that you have, the number of systems required to connect them and keep them alive. And I think all of that can be massively simplified. But we can't have this conversation without talking about the edge or the edges, as the edges got basically as technology moves closer to the user for physics and latency and power reasons. The edge is now suddenly, you know, alive and kicking. So the edge. <laughs> the edge yeah the edge and everyone yeah i mean this term has been around for some time and anytime i have interacted with people talking about the edge it's like well how do you define the edge what does it mean to you because it's always ambiguous um frankly um and so i think we can maybe define a certain certain stratification of edge just to sort of level set with people so we, we know about, you know, the non-edge, which is sort of our, let's say, cloud data centers, things like that. Like, that's what people think about, you know, managed compute, um, hosting providers of compute and, and storage and things like that, networking. But then we sort of get, a look, and to your point, I mean, part of it is the measure of latency relative to like a, like a, a, a client, let's say, a thing that is interacting with let's say the ML model or a service that's encapsulating the model, what's the distance, um, the, the latency, things like that, like how local is it to you? Like clearly my phone is like the farthest edge device you can get or something, a pacemaker embedded in, you know, not that I have one, but a pacemaker embedded in somebody's um, body and, or my watch, things like that. Like those are as far edge or as tiny edge, let's call it to, to distinguish this as you can get. Now, and that's a consumer device. So we talk about IOT devices. You can even say, you know, your dishwasher, that's a smart dishwasher or something is, is under that classification as well. So there's different contexts. Like we have our home things, we have personal devices, home devices, um, obviously depending on the industry. And we'll probably use like the industrial IOT type of context just to kind of dig into this a little bit more, but you have this stratified degree of edge. So tiny edge is like the terminal state. It's like the farthest, you know, small device that you would be interacting with. And I know you've uh, played around with and have some experience with PLC devices on factory floors and things of that nature. And so like those things are actually interacting with belts and, you know, doing the doing the actual robot robotic work, but there's going to be data coming off those and they have to be that data has to be sent somewhere. Um, and likewise, if there's a model that's local, like right next to it, um, that's, that's using it, collecting data or doing some kind of local inference, that's sort of as far, far down as you can kind of get. And then you have in between, you sort of have this like near edge, right? So far edge is like on the, in the factory, far edge, uh, near, excuse me, near edge could be like a provider that's not in the factory, but a data center that's close enough that it can connect some compute. And so a lot of CDN providers are, are, have this sort of near edge um, uh, compute data centers, whereas they're not like, you know, US East one, but it might be like closer down to a certain um, locale. So probably did a terrible job explaining those, but how would you, how would you maybe uh, 
define these terms or refine refine these terms oh, i don't think you i don't think you butchered that um i'm generally a fan of what Sousa did mm-hmm. so i mean they they i think i i really like it so they came out with this kind of you know near edge far edge tiny edge and i know we've, we've kind of been using it roughly the same terms anyway but we're, i know it's Sousa come we're like oh that's really lovely they've just kind of put this lovely terminology and you know definition language around it yeah so near edge so let's say you have your corporate data center it might be in a again in a retail colo somewhere or you might be reliant on a public cloud where your you know your near edge might be like a local data center so where i live i know about 10 miles away there's a data center there and I can go and rent a rack and, you know, put some equipment in. You think, well, that's kind of cool. But then I could probably get some, you know, either a wavelength on a fiber or I could get IP connectivity to that. And I could do that from my equipment rack downstairs. Um, so then let's say, let's call that then the near edge. I mean, reasonably proximity. The problem is your network path. It doesn't mean it's point to point. Obviously, like you've got to try and get connectivity to there somewhere. But it's close enough for it to be almost be negligible from a human point of view. But it's not close enough for machinery. So I look at it and go, oh, that's that's fast, that's good enough. Still in the milliseconds, machinery sometimes needs you know faster outcomes. Um, and I'm, what I mean by that, I mean it's still probably within 10, 15 millisecond responses for very, very simple payloads. Um, but then, yeah, you get your, your kind of far edge. I mean, sometimes these things are going to be on site. I think they used to call them IDFs and MDFs uh, from a networking point of view. So they're like a medium distribution facility with aggregation network devices. Uh, but I think in terms of applications, Maybe a small number of racks in like, I think some people call them computer rooms still. It's, it's kind of cute. But um, you might have some some gateway devices in there, some network connectivity, some, some sorry, connectivity, some SD-WAN as well. So you we can get, obviously get back to, you know, kind of uh, enterprise, um, you know, locations for, again, systems of records and that kind of thing. But then you've got your tiny edge. And tiny edge is, is interesting because it might not be Ethernet and IP. You might have to bridge between, you know, kind of Bluetooth or, you know, some whatever RS-232 and RS-485, which is still prolific in a, in a lot of locations. So you might have a single board computer that talks over serial or a CAN bus or something. And that information, like you said earlier on, needs to be able to be, well, it's bi-directional. You need to be able to put information onto those systems and take information away from those systems and do something with it. And latency is really, really important. So, you know, you might have an interaction with the tiny edge from your from your far edge or something like that. You might have an on-site system where if you're on net, you're going to be within microseconds from the machinery across the network. Um, and even then you could use like, you know, lossless Ethernet fabrics and stuff like this, or, you know, different kinds of synchronous mediums to get to get data between them if uh, for real, you know, kind of really mission critical stuff. But those definitions, I think, are, are really quite nice. But then things get muddy when we start talking about, you know, CDNs trying to provide near-edge functionality because somehow you've got to use those CDNs either to connect in a multiplex fashion back to your, say, public cloud, if, you, if you're running all your workloads on a public cloud, which is a security headache, or they provide, you know, they pro- might provide the direct connect from their service to the, to the public cloud. So now you've got, you know, two or three agreements in place and you think, well, that's a mess. And then you've got to go from that location to say your, I mean, let's keep, keep it in the theme of IoT or IIoT, industrial IoT. Um, you've got to get connectivity from there to your factory, your you know, place of manufacture, and you've got to maintain some, some stuff. So <laughs> the IT teams are like, let's get rid of all this stuff on site and go to the cloud. And the problem is AI came along and went, hey, do you want to use me? Yeah, yeah. Well, you need all this stuff back. Ah, oh, damn it. So now you've got mini data centers on site. It's back. <laughs> the pendulum swung just in a different way. And then we've now also got to manage the 
varying states and different types of communication mediums to be able to go from the machinery, so from the tiny edge on OT, so operational technology. And for a while, I thought that was all the technology, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm stupid, so whatever. Um, but like PLCs and SCADA and you know, single board machines and building management systems, power control systems now, because obviously everything's now a micro grid as well, so you've got micro grid control on site. And then somehow you're going to have somebody uh, like maybe like a work planner or a product manager, project manager sitting in a warehouse or maybe sitting in offices, you know, in, in the city going, hey, let's see how the, the, you know, the manufacturing facilities in the cheaper part of the country are looking. And they want the information there and then. They want to be able to control it. They want to be able to, you know, stick a higher priority workload in. And gluing all this stuff becomes an absolute, an absolute headache. Um, if you can imagine the workflow, then if somebody pulling a trigger saying, We've just had a you know an ordering that's worth ten times what's being processed right now, and our service level agreement with that customer is flexible enough where we can slow the work down and we can get the you know the high priority one through. That requires such an amount of intersystem communication to do that, and I think this is then where you could have um, a neural network and analyze the current state of affairs and go ah right stop the job at this point, put the you know the raw materials in uh, you know whatever three steps down the road, three hours away or whatever. And then, you know, everything will will work out. You know, you kind of do some goal setting or goal searching, whatever it's called. And, um, you know, like a scenario check. Is this scenario going to work out? And is everybody going to be happy? And, you know, it might turn around and say, well, as long as nothing goes wrong, then, you know, happy days. That's, uh, uh, you end up relying on this as a fully working communication system with intercommunication at every step, top down, bottom up, east to west, you know, whichever way you want to look at it in 3D space. And that's no easy feat. Those systems need to be able to communicate easily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's, and it's also, you know, not just direct communication of messages, packets, what, what have you, but there's going to be some local state that's going to have to live in certain places um, due to uh, connectivity not being available for, you know, there's, there might be in, intermittent connectivity depending on where, um, the, the links between things, or just, you know, even outside of a factory, you, you might be at a, a charging station or something, you know, there's all different environments in which you need to maintain some kind of local state. You don't want that to go away. And so having a technology that enables you to connect all the things and, have a consistent way of doing that consistent protocol, consistent security model, and then some state management as well, whether it's in the form of, of course, I'm talking about NATS for, for those who haven't caught on yet, <laughs> but you have, you know, durable streams, you have KV, you have object store primitives that you can use for like basic state management, but those are usually sufficient for moving data around doing store and forward type of patterns and things of that nature. And so since we're talking about sort of like AI models specifically, you can imagine there's a lot of, there's a kind of a lot of layers to this, um, of actually deploying an AI model in practice and then monitoring its performance over time, updating that model, you know, pushing a new version of that model down. How do you, how do you manage that? If you have a lot of different sites, for example, and then all the data collection that goes back it back up to say the cloud to maybe do some retraining um, or, or even verification, verification. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it might be. And so you have this continuous, continuous loop. And 
we were, we were reflecting a little bit before the call too, which is unlike kind of traditional, not that, not that software systems are, you know, static in any form, but I think when you're dealing with probabilistic models versus, you know, handwritten expert systems or handwritten custom code for, um, a particular factory floor or particular device, you're relying now on this model that is probabilistically going to be correct or wrong at any given point in time. And so that, that brings in, not that you can't have bugs if you handwrite software, of course, too, but it's, it's a different, it's a different beast. And so you could very easily, for example, have a new condition, a new input that the model has never observed before, and it could go off the rails potentially. Again, it depends on the context, but so we're going to naturally have even more monitoring required. There's going to potentially be human in the loop uh, feedback as, you know, there's an inference that's made and then a human sees a certain sampling of that every so often. And they're like, that's not right. And then that's going to be a data point that has to get, kind of get fed back into uh, upstream in, into uh, a system. Let's say the, the, a cloud that's aggregating from all of its sources. And then there's going to be kind of continuous validation, checking, and then potentially retraining as, as a result of that to say, how can we improve this given, you know, the environmental conditions have changed or the inputs have changed or something like that. So, and to, to your point, you got your east, west, north, south, you know, intra system, extra system, whatever, like you have, it, it's all over the place. And so having one consistent kind of substrate, connectivity substrate and sort of data substrate to utilize and leverage as a starting point, it's not, obviously it can't like host your model for you. It's not doing the inference for you or anything like that, but you need to ship these bytes around. You need to ship these models around. You need to store some data. You need to aggregate things. And the fact that NATS can provide such adaptive te topologies and you can create arbitrary, arbitrary topologies across, you know, any number of factories or again, whatever your edge location is in a consistent way is really powerful. And it, it makes it much simpler to think about and say, can we kind of start with this assumption? There's always going to be integrations. There's always going to be protocol translations. You know, at the at the PLC layer, you're going to have gateways and things of that nature. But it's a very compelling, you know, technology to really enable this uh, at at a at a scale that um, can can support big big industrial companies. And I mean, we we have plenty of you know customers that are fortunately exploring this, and so we have firsthand firsthand experience with what what is possible here. So it's yeah. it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we, we could probably base on this in um, a slightly different way as well. I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a reasonable use case where we could go through some of the the kind of Nats paradigms. I think there's probably two or three solid ones I can think of right now. One of them is something I had a fair amount of experience with when I was kind of back in electronics, back in my youth, dare I say that. My ginger hair dye, you know, doing me proud on, on camera for those who don't, don't watch this. Um, so one of the things I used to have to do was right and i didn't realize what i was doing at the time i kind of like fell on this haphazardly um, but i was writing machine learning systems uh to take electrical noise out of measurement sensors so things like strain gauges temperature sensors things like this so obviously once you're in a, an em or electromagnetic environment readings can be all over the place and even power supplies you get like a surge of power and it kind of like you know your, your, your phases between current and voltage shift and all of a sudden your readings are a bit weird and you're like oh not again 
Um, and one of the things I got good at was writing very simple kind of matrixy style um, learning systems that would take all the noise out. And I'd have, you know, cha- rates of change that were acceptable for the environment. And then I'd run the data through them. Um, but imagine now that, you, you you know, you've got all these things going on. You've got predictive kind of work happening where you know that, you know, power levels are going to climb. You know, you're going to need to pull off your battery supplies, your generators or whatever to kind of, you know, get all the machinery going in parallel. I mean, this kind of thing happens from time to time. It can even happen in data centers. Um, but also then go, ah, we need all these, you know, we need all these readings to be, you know, reasonable. So using NATS in, in this, and this is maybe a bit far-fetched, but in industry, I can see this happening where you might have a load of um, data readings coming in and hitting a stream. So you've got some sensors, you've got some small, you know, kind of tiny edge boards taking sensors out. They don't have a compute power to run this stuff locally, but they're an acquisition system. They take the reading every, whatever, let's call it every 100 milliseconds or something, and they, they place it later onto the network, onto NAS, and then the data goes in a stream. And then what you have then is you've got a consumer that takes that data and loads it into a small machine learning system um and then basically denoises and detrends the data so any kind of weird things happening that are known ahead of time um you think well that's useful so you could take a sensor another one comes online then you add another worker to the pool so you could have a queue group on that and you could just you know launch a system in there and then before you know it you've got this this system that's kind of self-breathing and self-regulating and what have you um, you think that's a really nice way of doing this stuff. You know, you could have stuff in your kind of maybe even your, your far edge kind of location, you know, denoising and, and kind of, you know, flattening some of the readings from your from your tiny edge. I mean, that's kind of cool. So that keeps it really, really simple. And then you can obviously pull that data back and do whatever you want to do with it, either aggregate it per day and stick it in an object. And then obviously in that, you've got other object store, or you could even have warboards, you know, so a warboard could subscribe to that and pull the kind of, you know, clean data out and stick it on a, on a display somewhere like in an engineering office or something. So that's, you know, really, really simple. And that's just going to be ML, but the AI ones are not, they're not so dissimilar. You know, even if you have like visual verification of a part that's being manufactured, you know, that takes resources. You know, you might have a bolt that comes down the line of a, and it has to be of a certain quality with no defects. Well, you can get cameras, you know, you can drop a camera, two or three cameras on a conveyor belt and turn the component around on a conveyor belt and you can get to the other side and you go, ah, this component is like, you know, whatever the components are 99.99% defect free. And that's kind of cool. But then to do that takes amount, it takes an enormous amount of effort from, you know, from a development point of view, from an implementation point of view, maintenance, keeping things clean. Is a camera lens dirty? Well, we don't know. Like there's all this stuff. And I think the same, the same paradigms kind of exist. And the data, whether you're just shoving data around in real time or whether you're doing it asynchronously and putting the things into streams, you've got a pipeline model, a processing model with, you know, distributed um, kind of processing systems. I think it's, it's, it's a really nice way of doing it. But the, the NATS model, in my opinion, is, is lovely because it's all on one substrate. You can then have these, you know, local uh, latency aware kind of working systems that you can grow and shrink, you know, manage your own power requirements. Um, but also the authentication and authorization model. You know, it's not just a free for all. You might need to go to a team and say, hey, can I have access, you know, to, a, to that clean data, please? Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, to to that point as well, I mean, you can have control whether through permissions or explicit filtering of data that's stored locally, you know. And then you might be mirroring data up to the cloud environment, aggregating sourcing data from from the the sort of tiny edge locations. And you can sort of opt in to which subset of data that you actually want to to be to be sourced. 
So you do have that flexibility of selecting out that data that needs to go where it needs to go, depending on how you're going to utilize it. But yeah, um, that was a great, that was a great example, David. I really oh, like that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've not actually pre-thought about this. That was straight off, straight off the top of my head. It doesn't normally go like that. I think one of the other episodes the other week, I just came out with something that was terrible. And after thinking, oh, I should really re-record that episode. But you know what? Ship it. <laughs> Ship it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, oh, there's so much, there's so much room here. Um, it's it's kind of magical. I know we always say it is, but it is. That's the thing, especially when we extend the manufacturing floor all the way through to you know whatever the boardroom. It's real. You know we we can we can do this stuff, and that's that's kind of incredible. And the thing I love, I think the most is language. The communication language used between teams can be the same one. You can talk about how to move the data around, how to provide access to the data. Sure, you'll have siloed skills in you know whatever flavor of AI, DL, and ML that you're kind of exploring and you're playing with. But the way those systems interact, some of the hardest things is the inter-system communication can all be the same. I don't mean programming language, but the same verbal language, the same design language, the same set of thoughts can be applied from everything down to how the machine runs, you know, to how job planning's done, how, you know, investor numbers are presented. It's um, absolutely incredible, really, when we can flatten all of this stuff. But also, like, th there's other things going on, like power management. Power's not infinite. We don't just have oodles of it. And unfortunately, power's available at, you know, kind of big data centers. Cloud, public cloud data centers, I mean, they have kind of huge agreements to buy, you know, copious amounts of power. But weirdly, there's lots of power at manufacturing sites. So this whole definition and reworking of the edges makes makes perfect sense, which is kind of nice. Um, and then even then you could extend this and go, well, you know, between 5G autonomous vehicles and some of the edge processing those things require, you don't have the power at the, the bottom of a transmission tower, like a cell tower. It's not there. You might have room for like one rack of equipment and then the processing has to happen somewhere else. So this whole, you know, kind of near and far edge stuff makes, it has to make sense because we just can't keep shipping everything off for real-time communication back to a large color retail or public cloud. Anyway, I know I'm banging on it here, but... Um, yeah, no. That, that's interesting. That resonates for sure. So what I want to hear from, from uh, listeners or watchers going forward is if you have particular questions about this topic, because we are highly invested in this uh, in general, in, in the sense of we think about this stuff a lot. We're always wanting to optimize Nats for edge use cases. Um, and AI, of course, is very top of mind to a lot of people. So we'd be happy to explore more concrete patterns, um, write about it, talk about it more. So I know personally, I would love to hear feedback from this episode um, from folks absolutely yeah yeah uh, i think the, the the weird thing for me to say and this is not admitting defeat or anything weird in fact it reminds me of um, one of the big bang episodes where leonard goes on radio and he kind of goes yeah physics is dead thanks for the billions of dollars but yeah whatever and then he kind of gets his you know backside handed to him on a plate by the faculty um i think working with nats every day we have the kind of luxurious position of having conversations with some truly interesting companies globally, but we're no longer in the field. We're no longer actually out there building these systems and you know, kind of getting, getting all this insight. We gain insight secondhand in a lot of cases from the conversations and from the explorations. So whilst we've all, you know, Byron, you spent 
a tremendous amount of time in, in kind of medical healthcare and medical systems. Um, you know, I've been in industry and networking for a long time. But yeah, hearing back from you know any listeners out there that are doing things with with AI, ML, anything does does it resonate what we've been talking about? You know, we know this isn't new. None of it's really new. We're just trying to. I guess, open your mind to making life easy. And if it works and anything else that you think, you know, you can add to, hell, do you want to come on and be a guest? Let us know. That'd be cool. That'd be great. If yeah. not terrifying, having a PhD around AI and ML, it's like, I think I'll just turn the camera off for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Anything else you want to add to this? This has been an interesting chat, I think. No, it has. Yeah, like you said, there's so much to say and talk about with this. Um, so many layers to it. But yeah, we, we figured it was a, a good topic to get into, not only defining sort of, thanks, thanks Susa for the uh, edge um, stratif Absolutely. stratification, but also, yeah, just acknowledging that there's so much connectivity required to actually enable this use case. And um, we just really think Nats with its data primitives and its connectivity um, layer that's consistent, multi-programming multi language, um, host your model in Python, but, you know, have a embedded C client on your, on your device, small device. It's lovely. It is. <laughs> so I'm just, you have, you have that freedom. Uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. You have done worse things. Yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the Pascal client to come, you know, to come along. I'll keep waiting. <laughs> cool. Cause hell, some of the industrial systems are that old or older. Oh, I don't, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome stuff. Cool. So any final thoughts? I'm having a few flashes, but I'll, I'll try and hold them back. No, I'm good. I think I've said my piece. You said your piece? Awesome. Yeah, my brain is now going, let's do episode two. No, I can't really. Um, yeah, as you find, I've, got, I've got one one little thing, maybe just if you're walking the dog or driving the car. The feedback loop for humans is really important. And I think one of the aspects here is a human operator can still have some oversight and provide corrective information for these systems. So even if you have a camera looking at defects or me in the case of, you know, trying to pay for a, a lovely new, I say lovely new, a second-hand motorbike, but I can't because the AI up said, oh, no, this is clearly, you know, not something you should be spending money on. It's like, you've been talking to my wife or something. Um, yeah. To be able to say, no, this is this is, this is is incorrect. You know, you're you're wrong in this case, and I am I am right. This I am the owner of this information. But also, uh, a factory floor worker who's been doing it for 20 years is going to know, ultimately, is going to have a human insight that the machines just don't have yet. There's not enough layers in the net or whatever it is you, that you want to talk about. Nats can really help with this as well. So you could have a stream that you can replay back in real time as the data came in. So you could almost run the shop floor on a sim and then have mm. the human feedback coming in. And that's that's something I, I kind of get a weird kick out of. I don't know why. I know it's nothing special. It's just a log, but I think I've got this thing in my head where somebody's pressing a button. And actually what's happening is the stream's getting populated at the same time as this kind of communication system's working and being able to replay that, I think that's that's pretty cool. It's like mm -hmm. a, just a lovely whole layer of a you know new layer of system of record, but yeah. No, this has been great. So yeah, thanks for entertaining me, Byron. I know I've ranted on a fair amount. This has been, been really cool. So as usual, I guess, outro, are you doing it or shall I do it? Oh, I'll go for it. Go for it. All right. Thanks everybody for watching or listening and uh, hit that like button, subscribe, whatever your medium is, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much.